0: Father in heaven, uh, we are here to worship you, creator of heaven and earth. And we acknowledge you to be the sovereign king over all nations and the king of kings. Um, Lord, we uh, pray for wisdom for our church. Uh, help us to walk in righteousness and truth and love. Father, we also uh, pray for our broader community um, as uh, there's been an uh, increase of, of hospitalizations from COVID. Um, also, many people who were not able to go to the hospital this last year, there's uh, an increase of, of, of um, other needs that people have at the hospital. We pray for your, your care and blessing on all the healthcare workers. Give them strength and give them endurance. We pray that you'd give wisdom to the hospital Lord, we also come before you and plead with you that you would end this this pandemic and um, you would free us from COVID. And um, uh, Lord, we trust you and we walk through this looking to you, worshiping you, and we thank you that we can gather as your people. Um, Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to turn now to God's word. Uh, The passage we're going to be studying together is printed for you there in the bulletin. We're in in 1 Samuel 1. We're looking at the first uh, 20 verses. This is the word of the Lord. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zephim of the uh, hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up uh, year by year from uh, his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were uh, priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had cr- closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her Husband uh, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, But will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my uh, great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And uh, Then the the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went uh, back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, I pray that uh, you would uh, take these holy words and you would use them as a comfort to your people and uh, lead us into your wisdom, into your love, um, into your compassion. And uh, Lord, you know what each of us needs to hear from you. And so we pray that you direct these words to our, our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we study the first chapter of 1 Samuel. Our topic is uh, affliction. Uh, This is the story of Hannah, a woman who for many years suffered from infertility. And uh, she describes her experience in a prayer there in verse 11. You see what she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction... Of your servant. What is affliction? Well, affliction, that word's used throughout the Old Testament. Really, as, as Jonathan said earlier in the service, it's the, really a description of God's people throughout the Old Testament. They were afflicted when they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, Job was afflicted. They were afflicted by the Babylonians when they were taken in exile in the 6th in, in the century BC. It, um, it's a word that uh, that means acute suffering of human life that can be physical, economic, emotional, spiritual. It can be a sense of meaninglessness, not fulfilling our calling. And as God's people, we live under a curse. And so that means affliction is going to be a part of, of our lives. And if you are suffering from affliction, I think this passage has some powerful insights for you today. And so, what is this passage? What is Hannah? have us to, te- have to teach us about walking through affliction. Well, there are three things that I'd, I'd like to highlight from this passage. That, wa- that we walk through affliction by grieving, we walk through affliction by worshiping, and we walk through affliction by being loved by Jesus. We walk through affliction by grieving, by worshiping, and by being loved by Jesus. And, and so three important insights from 1 Samuel this morning. So three points in the first is this. We walk through affliction by grieving. As we read through this account, you see Hannah's grief at the lot that has been given her by the Lord. And she's very honest about the pain that she's experiencing. And you'll notice that this passage begins with a genealogy. You see that there in verse 1 where it says, There was a certain man of Ramatham-Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. And genealogies like this are throughout the Old Testament. It's kind of a a fast-forwarded way of God to tell the story of how the kingdom of his chosen people has been growing in the earth and how it's been expanding and multiplying. And because the growing of God's family was so central to his purposes, it made the next statement all the more painful. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children but Hannah had no children. Hannah had no children. And and the first thing that struck me in this passage about Hannah walking through affliction is the honesty of her pain. Uh, multiple times the passage describes her grief. You see that there the second part of verse 7 it says, Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And then in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then down to f- verse 15. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have uh, drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all, uh, all along, I have been uh, speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. This is a woman open and honest about her grief. And one of the challenges about grieving our afflictions is that often the people around us really don't understand what we're going through. And I know that even I'm giving a sermon about a woman who is struggling with infertility and and trying to speak about that. And do I really understand what that's like for her? And uh, Hannah's affliction was not understood by the people around her. And that kind of aggravated the affliction. I want to point out some of the ways that people did not understand her affliction. So first of all, we see that that her grief was despised in this passage. She was despised and kind of stigmatized for for her affliction. You see that there in verse 4 where it says on the day when Elkanah sacrificed he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so Hannah's uh, husband had two wives. And uh, if you have questions about polygamy in the Old Testament, you come ask me after. I I had to shorten this sermon, so I took that out. But you come ask me, I can tell you about it. Uh, How how are we supposed to think about that? But uh, the other wife used Hannah's affliction as an opportunity to despise her. And, of course, this other wife, Penina, she had a bunch of kids. She had sons and daughters, and Hannah has no kids. And she's watching this other woman have all these kids, which probably added to Hannah's uh, uh, affliction. And even when you don't have an annoying person like this other wife, Penina, but um, particularly with infertility, you know, especially in a church like ours where there's kids running around everywhere, a person could easily feel stigma for not having children and you know and people make all kinds of thoughtless comments you know well when are you going to have kids why aren't you having kids you have no idea the affliction that they're that they're going through all of this adds to the affliction and you know polygamy In the Old Testament, it's never a happy situation. This is another example. It's not a happy situation. There's all kinds of envy and and, and jealousy in it. Um, So first of all, we see that Hannah's grief was despised. A second thing that kind of added to her affliction was that her grief was also minimized. You know, people can despise your grief. They can also minimize the grief. And uh, we see that in Hannah's husband, Elkanah. Elkanah is interesting because it does seem like Elkanah has kind of a sweet and tender side to him. You know, he took his family to worship year after year to go sacrifice at Shiloh. He loves the Lord. And uh, it says there in verse 5 that he loved Hannah, though the Lord had closed her womb. And, you know, that can happen in, in a marriage where, you know, maybe a, a husband, a, a wife has some kind of affliction or weakness and her husband loves her even more because of the affliction. You know, that's how the Lord is towards us. And towards, he sees our weakness, and his, our weakness draws his affections to us. And Elkanah was that way. But I think, um, but as loving as Elkanah was, he clearly didn't understand the grief his wife was experiencing. And you see what he says there in verse 8. It says, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And you know, someone needs to pull Elkanah aside and be like, "Bro, this isn't what you say to your wife who's struggling. Like, what about me? You know, why are you so upset? You have me. I'm awesome. That's how. And uh, and I think when we are around people suffering from an affliction, this is what we think is helpful. Oh, you're feeling bad. Maybe I can say something that may make you feel less bad. Let me tell you about the reasons why what you're feeling isn't really as bad as you think it is. And we think that's helpful. There are times when a word of wisdom can be comforting, but, of, but often a minimizing of an affliction adds to the grief of it because now the person, they are, not only do they feel bad, now they feel guilty because they're like, I'm overreacting and I shouldn't be feeling this bad. Yeah, I got this awesome husband. Shouldn't that be enough for me? And I shouldn't feel so bad. So there's, so the, and that leads to a third challenge. So her grief is despised, then it's minimized, and then her grief was ultimately seen as sinful, misinterpreted as sinful. And this story takes place at Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was, where God's people would go to worship during feast days. And uh, these would have been special moments for Hannah. You imagine, okay, once a year I get to go to God's presence, and I get to pray, and I get to plead with him, Lord, give me children. I long to have children take this affliction away from me. And it's there at church that her husband is saying to her, can't you get over this? And, And so she goes out to pray by herself, and there's a pastor outside, Eli. And uh, and this is what it says there in verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was heard. Therefore, Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And so the pastor says... What is wrong with you? You're all sad. Are you drunk? Is, is there some sin in your life that's causing you to be so dysfunctional and act so weird? And we'll find out later that Eli is kind of a, a lukewarm and complacent uh, uh, pastor. And he's clearly lost his pastoral sensitivity to be aware what is happening to the people that are in my congregation that I'm supposed to be caring for. And so you see the challenge of walking through affliction in grief, You know, it's the community and often the the people around us that make it hard to do that. We could feel despised or stigmatized for feeling sad. You know, often when you're in affliction, you're wondering, are other people judging me for this? Uh, You could feel crazy, like you're making too big of a deal of your affliction and, and others minimize it. Or even feel that the grief itself is sinful. And because of that, affliction brings with it a certain temptation towards bitterness and a hardening of our hearts. Because we already wonder, why is God doing this to me? And then we get into a community of people that are insensitive and don't really understand what we're going through, and it just has a sense to make us want to distance ourselves both from God and from people. And it strikes me that Hannah in this passage is able to grieve without hardening her heart. She grieves her affliction without hardening her heart. How does she do that? Well, I think that's the second thing we learned from Hannah about walking through affliction. It's not only that we need to walk through affliction by grieving, but second, we walk through affliction by worshiping. We walk through affliction by worshiping God. And when you are in hardship and sadness, often the thing that you feel least inclined to do is to worship But it's the most important thing. And when your world feels filled with disappointment, to come here and to hear God say, this is who God is, this is who you are, this is what the truth is. When there's all this disruption, there's something grounding about coming and approaching the throne of God and worshiping before him. And what we see in this passage is that Hannah both worships in gathered worship and in private worship. And I think both of them are important. I want to talk about each of them. So the first thing is we're walking through affliction. We need gathered worship. We need gathered worship like this, what we're doing right now, Sunday morning gathering with God's people. And if you are struggling with affliction... You know how difficult that can be, just coming here and seeing a bunch of people. It could be hard even like focusing on a sermon. I've got all these other thoughts, and it's hard to focus on God. It's hard to focus on the words and, and to hear what the pastor is saying. But Hannah, through her affliction, would gather with God's people at the tabernacle at Shiloh. And You see that there in verse 3, how it says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And it struck me that the reason Hannah was in worship was because her husband brought her. I'm sure she wanted to go, but often when you're in affliction or if you're in depression, if you're in sadness, you're in disappointment, you need someone who says to you, listen, I know you need to be in church. I know you don't want to go. I'm going to drag you there. And you know it's probably good for you, and it's hard to show up and be around the people, but you you know it's the thing you need the most. It's the hardest thing to do, and you need someone to bring you. And why is public worship so important? Because it is here in worship that we hear the important mysteries that you won't hear anywhere else in your life. There are mysteries about affliction that you will hear here you won't hear anywhere else. Mysteries like verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. Here it is, alone in worship, we learn that ultimately all of my affliction comes under the governance and wisdom of God. It is appointed by God. It is in worship we learn to say to God while we plead with him to take away our affliction, your will be done. I will trust you. And even more, in the midst of all this, I will worship you and I will praise you as God. And I'll tell you, you know, one thing that gathered worship does is when we are in affliction, it's very hard to believe. Like, It's hard to believe that the Lord is with me or present or he's listening to me, it's hard to even trust God. That's one of the reasons we need one another, to come into a room, to a family. We're the family that believes. And I'm among the people who believe. So even if I don't even feel the faith in my own heart to be with you and to hear you singing and to see you listening to a sermon saying, this is the truth, that helps me to stay in my faith in the midst of my affliction. And it was coming out of gathered worship that Hannah was moved toward a more intimate encounter with God in prayer. And that was the second thing. So she needed gathered worship, but she also needed private worship. And you see there in verse 9, it says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. She's been at this feast. Everyone's feasting. She's not eating anything. And, uh, and now she wants to go and be alone with the Lord. And it is at this annual gathering to worship with God's people that something happened in Hannah. Here's this woman who has for years dreamed of having a child. She's pictured what a loving mother she would be. She likely could not picture how life could be good unless a child was given to her. How could she say that her life was good without a child? But here at Shiloh, after years of tears and disappointment, she's been worshiping. And then she goes out to be alone, and she says this prayer in verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life And no razor shall touch his head. Though she continues to ask for a child, in this prayer is the letting go of a dream. Her son would not be raised in her house. She wouldn't get to raise her son. After he's weaned, he'd go live with priests. What's happening in her heart? At the deepest place of her soul, she was worshiping God. And you look at the intimacy of this passage where it says in verse 3, Hannah was speaking in her heart. She was encountering God with the deepest desires, the deepest dreams of what her whole life was about. And at this intimate place, she's come to a place where she can finally say to God, more than my dream to be a mother is my dream to be your servant. You are my Lord, you are my King, and I will worship you. And that's what it says three times. She calls herself the servant of the Lord. This is where worship brings us. And this is often God's purpose as well in our afflictions, is to bring us to a place where we can say, above all else in my life, above all my dreams, above all my plans, is I am your servant, Lord. That is who I am. That is how I interpret everything that happens in my life. Now, that might intimidate you, that the Lord wants to bring you to a place where you say, above all, I am your servant, your will be done. But I think that's why we need a third point. Um, so we walk through affliction by grieving, by worshiping. But lastly, we, wor- we walk through affliction by being loved by Jesus. For those of you who are suffering, or suffering affliction, you know that maybe the hardest part of the affliction is wondering, does Jesus love me? It doesn't feel like love right now. And you might say, I don't want to harden myself against God, but I'm wondering, maybe he's already hardened himself against me. That's what I'm feeling is the hardness. And there are two ways Hannah is loved by Jesus that I want to point out in this passage. If you are in Christ, the Lord is not hardened against you, even if you are suffering affliction. He's like Elkanah. He he loves you even more. His heart is stirred. His compassion is stirred towards you. And it is the love of Jesus that keeps our hearts from hardening in the midst of affliction. So, How does Hannah experience Jesus' love? Well, two ways. First, Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. And I think, you know, that often part of the reason we don't find comfort in stories like this is because we know how they end. And the story goes by so quickly. I mean, it's 20 verses. You know, at the beginning, she was, like, crying, and she couldn't have a baby, and then she prayed, and then she had a child, and it seemed like it all was a fairy tale and it worked out in the end. And it, that doesn't seem to happen in, to us. You know, there, part of the affliction is the uncertainty about what's going to come in the future. I don't know if the Lord's going to take away my affliction. I don't know if the Lord's going to give me a child. I don't know if the Lord's going to take away the cancer. But I think the thing to notice about this passage is the amount of time that Hannah suffered. And we read in this passage, you know, it seems like she couldn't have a baby, she prayed, and then she could have a baby. But that's not what it was. It was year after year, going up to Shiloh. It was all that time that this other woman's having sons and daughters. So multiple sons and daughters. So however long that was, she's watching child after child come. And she's praying to the Lord, please relieve me from this affliction. And yet... Um, the fact that this story is recorded for us, the fact this is the opening of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is the beginning of the kingdom of God in earth where God is establishing his kingdom in the earth. King David is going to become king in this book. And the opening passage is Hannah and all those years. And the Lord had been listening. He knew each one of those years. You know, Psalm 56 says that he collects he counts all of our tossings. He put all of our tears in a bottle. They are written in his book. And you might say, what book is that, that God writes all of our sorrows? Well, for Hannah, it's the Bible. God wrote all of her sorrows. He was with her all that, all that time. He was near and loving her, and he treasured her, such treasuring that she's chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. That's the love of Jesus that was sustaining her. So Hannah walked through affliction by being seen by Jesus the whole time. But second, it's not only that Jesus sees Hannah, but second, that Jesus suffered with her. And as we zoom out of this story and think about that prayer from Hannah in verse 11 where she says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, She calls herself the Lord's afflicted servant. Who in the Bible is the afflicted servant of the Lord? Well, if you go to Isaiah, Isaiah has all these songs about the suffering servant. And it is the great prophecy of Jesus who is coming. And that same word for affliction appears there. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus, too, was despised for his suffering and affliction. And the reason we walk through suffering grieving, even when others despise us, even when others minimize it, even when others people say that our grief is sinful, we grieve because Jesus grieved in his affliction. And the reason we walk through affliction worshiping, both gathering with God's people here and going to God in prayer with the deepest desires of our heart, is because the same Lord who ordained Hannah's affliction, who closed her womb, is the same Lord who himself came and suffered in our place. And when we come before God and worship in the midst of affliction, we find a God who loves us. What do you need to walk through affliction? Is you need love. Our suffering is mysterious you'll often want to ask God, why? Why is God making me suffer like this? And he generally does not answer that question. But the one thing that we know is not the answer to that question, you can't say the reason you are suffering is because God doesn't love you. Because Jesus himself came to suffer with you and you can know this for sure, though my affliction is mysterious, it is in the love of Jesus that I walk through it. And so we patiently wait, walking through suffering, not only grieving, not only worshiping, but as ones who have been loved by Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it's a comfort to me to know that you uh, see and are aware of, of all the afflictions that are present in this room and I, I feel my own inadequacy to, to speak about suffering, of other people's sufferings that are so mysterious. And, uh, but we are here worshiping, believing that they are under your care and that in Christ not, nothing can separate us from his love. And so I uh, pray that our church would be a community where as people are, are suffering from affliction, they can grieve here. They would not be despised or be minimized or, or stigmatized, um, that we w- uh, would be sensitive to each other's suffering. We'd have compassion for each other. Lord, I also pray that these worship services, week in and week out, would be the place where the afflicted come and stand before the living God and and say to you, Lord, your, your will be done. I trust you. Um, we are your servants. And, uh, but Lord, above all, I pray that this, uh, this place, worship, would be the place where people, the afflicted, experience the tender love of Jesus. That he is gentle and lowly and calls us to, to come to him for rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so, Lord, uh, may we taste that love. May you give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.